awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say this. As a pastor and a leader of, of, of a local church, every dollar we invest in our students is worth it is worth it. So yay God for you guys being generous. And, and you guys, you students that have endured this, it's okay if you sleep during my talk. I will not be offended, okay? Because most of your parents do as well, so it's okay, all right? So we're going to continue with this series on Luke, uh, my assignment, how God assigns us. And I think this may be applicable to our rescue weekend as well, because God rescues you for a purpose, he doesn't just save you to get you into heaven. He saves you to get into heaven, but between here and there, he wants to give you a life. He wants to give you a life full of meaning, a life full of hope, a life full of peace, a life that's not free from adversity because adversity makes us grow, but a life of purpose and a life of his desire. So I hear the phrase thrown a lot, around a lot in Christian circles like, will God call me to this or God call me to that? Or my favorite well, God hasn't called me to that. Like I could have said to Sean, uh, God has not called me to student ministry. But I actually, God has called me to student ministry and get to team up with Sean to do that and Melinda and, and Jose, Juan Carlos Jose, our friend at Cypress Creek. But what is this calling thing? What is this thing? Is it an excuse? It is it uh, an excuse not to do something? Is it some kind of mystical utterance you get from a burning bush? Hey, I want you. Or is it, maybe it's an assignment. Maybe it's call it, instead of calling it a calling, we call it an assignment. You see, when we come to Christ, he calls us to himself. And when we say yes to Jesus, this is what we do. We give up our rights to location, to vocation, to comfort, to care and convenience, to finances, we give up our rights. Oh, and you just thought it was to get you into heaven. You see, God has so much more for you than just an eternal reward in the sweet by and by. He wants your life to matter for him now, to find hope and peace and joy and to be contagiously sharing that love with other people. So maybe it's an assignment. Paul said it this way, a couple of passages I think you'll find interesting. In, uh, in Galatians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, now, I, now, I want to go back. Before I read that passage, let me go back to this quote. I, I wrote this down. I want you to get it, okay? Jesus calls himself, calls us to himself in salvation. The only calling we get from Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, we surrender our rights to comfort, location, finances, and future. And I wrote this down because I wanted you to get it. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And he has full authority over our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, we surrender our lives to him, then he has the right to assign us according to his will. Huh. Paul said it this way. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. He says this in Philippians, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. And Paul wrote that passage in Philippians while he was in jail facing execution. He said, hey, if I die, I die. Psh, go to heaven. All good. Peace out. But if I live, 
I live for God. I live for his glory. I don't live for my agenda. I live for his agenda. I don't look for my will. I look for his will. Because he called me to himself and I said yes, and now he has the right to assign me. Now, that may be semantics, but I think there's truth here because I think a lot of us use the excuse of God's calling to get us out of stuff than saying yes to Jesus before he even asks us. That gets us into the middle of his will. You know, Jesus knew in advance that I would become a pastor. He did. I didn't. When I was seven, a few years back, at least 20, I said yes to Jesus. I gave him my life. I remember where I was, who I was with. I was with my father and my pastor. I was sitting on my father's knee when I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. He smelled like Old Spice because everybody in the 60s smelled like Old Spice or high karate or brute or if you're real sophisticated, English leather. Which just, just sounds gross. Why did you want to smell like English leather anyway? Okay, Sorry. I remember that day when I said yes to Jesus. What I didn't realize that God right then, he said, hey, Bubba, you're going to be a pastor. He already foreknew that. When I was nine, I first felt that first kind of tugging. Hey, I, I might become a pastor. I remember thinking, listen to my pastor preach. This is crazy. We were hearing him preaching going, I think I could do better than that. I was nine. <laughs> then at 15, God called me or reminded me of that, that assignment to be a pastor again. And, and as I read scripture, I don't want to do that. And then at 21, when I finally said yes to Tara and yes to do music, and then at 33, God said, no, 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 no. Now, are you ready to do what I called you to do, what I asked you to do, what I assigned you to do? I could have said this, well, that's not my calling. But when I was seven, I gave up my rights. And so we, we, we've done that. Now, am I perfect? Thank you. No, I'm not. Right, guys? We're all broken, right? Right. And so I am broken. All of us are broken. Look at your neighbor and say, you are broken. Yep. Doesn't that feel good? Okay, now listen to this. Listen to this. You're broken, but when you give your life to Jesus, you become righteous. What? You become righteous. That God takes Jesus' righteousness and he covers you with it. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it's called imputed righteousness. Righteousness that does not belong to you, belongs to God. He gave it to you because you said yes to Jesus, and he covers you with righteousness. Now, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your brokenness. He sees Jesus is righteous. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, you look righteous this morning. And some of y'all made that a pickup line. That's creepy, Okay. I'll say that to my wife. Baby, you look righteous this morning. I just up the creepy factor. Okay. But the truth is, that is what God has done for us. And since he's done that for us, then we surrender to live all for him. Now, not every one of y'all is supposed to be a pastor, are you? Thank God, right? Yeah, some of y'all make a lousy pastor. Y'all say, right back at you, Jack. Okay, that's between me and Jesus. But the thing is, God has an assignment for all of you. And what would it look like if we said yes to Jesus before he asked us? What would our life be like? What would the adventure be like? Instead of going, no, I don't think so. Yeah, let's go. And go on the great adventure with the great assignment from our great God to live all for him. Let's look at Luke and see what Luke says about the assignment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me, that it's not my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth 
that leads us to understand who you are and what you desire for us. Lord, these folks, they do not need to hear from me. That is a waste of time. They do need to hear from you. So please speak. Speak so that we can hear. And we pray this to your, in your strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes. I want to remind you of a couple of things. We have online resources for you. Go to fbcwimberly.com for our online resources. There's a, a small group I did for this week about the parable of the sower. I want all of you to go on and listen to it. The parable of the sower. I've heard it taught one way all my life. I found another theologian who taught it another way. I have borrowed what he thought and I went, oh, very enlightening. So I encourage you to go listen to the parable of the sower, which is online this week. And also the Luke uh, readings of Luke that we provided for you with the, uh, the Luke journal. So, but let's jump into this and take some notes down. So take the, take, in with, take the weekend with you notes and jot some notes down. Here's the first thing. When Jesus gives you an assignment, he gives you his authority. He gives you his authority. Luke chapter nine, verse one and two says this. One day, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them, now listen to what he gave them. He gave them power and authority, both of those things, to cast out all demons. Now, how many is all? That's all. And to heal all diseases. How many is all? So Jesus gave them power over all the demons of hell and all the sicknesses of humanity. What? How did Jesus give them that authority? Because he had it. It was his to give. He says, hey, you 12, now you have my authority. So go. They're going, demons? Really? Demons? Like, demons? Yeah. Go. You got authority to cast them out. And diseases, like really bad ones, are kind of like minor stuff. Like tummy aches? All of them, that's right. And all means all from the mouth of a young warrior. It comes. Now, he called them, and nothing defines your life like the call of God. Nothing. It changes you from who you were to who you want God wants you to be. It's the marvelous transformation of our hearts and our lives. The most important decision you'll ever make is your decision about Jesus Christ. I stood in the cold yesterday. Um, some people were worried about me in the cold, but heck, I lived in Canada. That was nothing. I had my, my Canadian gloves on and my camouflage jacket. You could barely see me. Looked like a big bush out there on the playing field. Like a large bush on the playing field. Double X bush. And I told those kids about Jesus. And I listened to them. They listened to me. It was amazing. It was freezing. They listened to me. I had to say, hey, 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 a couple of times. You three girls over the corner, you listen to me? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's the truth. The truth is God loves all of y'all and y'all online as well. And he wants all of y'all to come to him because he wants to identify you as his. And that changes your life. It's not what school you go to or what college football team you root for or what vocation you have or how many children you've got. It doesn't matter about your, your 23andMe DNA. In fact, y'all, I don't want to do my 23 DNA. You know why? Because I don't want to know about my crazy family. I want to know about my awesome God. 
And it defines us, it shapes us, and it changes us. And what you do with Jesus is the most important thing you ever do. It's the most important, serious decision. What do you do with him? And he's calling him to yourself. And you're surrendering yourself to him. You're saying yes to him. Is your act of worship. Worship is not the songs you sing or how you jump around or how you don't jump around. When you're old, you just don't jump no more. It hurts. But that's your act of worship. I got a dear friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's not the pastor of a big church. He's the pastor of a small church. I get to meet with him once a week. I love this guy. I love this guy. He is my hero. Let me tell you why. He's got cancer. He's really sick. We're going to help him. I mean, when I say we, I mean y'all too. We're going to help him. We're going to help his church. He's really sick. And we were talking the other day about music and music styles and how people like to gnaw on me about different songs and styles. Can y'all imagine that? And they complain about volume. Can you imagine that? And what do I do? I get my feelings hurt. I go, leave me alone. And this is what he reminded me. He said, you know what, Scott? When Jesus is your focus, it doesn't matter about your style. But see, when you focus on your style, that's idolatry. When you focus on your Savior, your Savior trumps your style. Oh. Because Jesus likes all of it. Jesus even likes, even likes Southern gospel. I don't know how, but he does. Or rap. I don't know how, but he does. He does. And get this. He's got cancer. I've been gnawed on a little bit. A little twinkle in his eye. He said, hey, it's all good. Jesus has got this. And whatever he does, go before his glory. Let's go. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus has got this. And I thought, I am a brat. A sniveling coward of a brat. You're picking on me. Jesus has got this. See, my act of worship is not singing with my hands up. I was afraid my shirt's going to come up and you see my belly. That ain't worship. That'll turn your attention away from Jesus real quick. Tara's going, keep your arms down, aren't you, baby? She's right now. Said, Don't do it. That's right. Nobody needs to see that. Okay. Focus, Fox. My worship is Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. For the first time or the 500th time, Jesus, I'm yours. And see, here's the assignments he gave them. And he might be giving the same to us to cast out the demons, to run to the darkness, to be willing to get into the mess of people's lives. Will we be a church that welcomes the mess? Friday night, not only did we have focus going on with 321 kids, we had Celebrate Recovery kicked off with 35 people in Celebrate Recovery. That's a big yay God, yeah. Yeah. And I think about that. The demonic battle for people's souls. We're the raging battle for the hearts, souls, and lives of men and women, boys and girls. It requires our best efforts, our brightest minds, our whole lives. We are called by God to join him in the depopulation of hell. 
Wow. To preach the gospel because he's mighty to save. As we sat on that bank yesterday in that cold weather, and I was telling these kids as fast as I could, because Sean says, you got three minutes, you got two minutes, you got one minute, ah, you're done. And I tried to explain the gospel to them about how Jesus loves you and how we're all broken, how Jesus fixes your brokenness and how you have to trust him. Because it's life-changing. It's mighty to save and to heal the sick. There's nothing like a healer. There's a few folks in our church that are really struggling with big sicknesses. In fact, one of our precious ladies who usually sits right there is in the hospital right now. And we put people gone to take care of her, visit her, love on her. Here's the deal. Is it okay for us to pray for her to be healed? Is it okay for us to anoint people with oil and pray that the Lord would heal them? Absolutely, because the Bible teaches it. God has given us authority. Now, not some kind of TV preacher, run to the wall and make the devil angry. Not kind of that nonsense. But the love and the power that says this, I'm entering into this sickness with you. And Jesus is with you. And so am I. Some of you do not have a physical ailment, but you've got a spiritual ailment. You're hurting. You're depressed. You're discouraged. You're full of doubt. What is the cure? We are. We are. I've been so discouraged this week. And you know what happened? I told the first gathering that I've been so discouraged. You know what? I got 50,000 hugs from old people. Of course, I am an old person, so it's okay. And you know what they were saying? Pastor, we love you. You know what? A hug of love, not creepy, but of love heals broken hearts. Could we be the key people of the, of the appropriate hug? I think we should be. Because there's nothing like a healer. So I ask you this question. I've asked you before, what would you do for Jesus if you knew it was him who asked? I have a friend of mine who asked it this way. What would you do for Jesus if you knew you couldn't fail? I used to ask it that way until I failed. Doing what I thought Jesus wanted me to do. We used to sing this song. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender some. What is convenient? What is comfortable? I'm not surrendering that. But always surrendering all? These guys heard it, they surrendered it, and they turned the world upside down. Jesus gave them nothing, but let me read for you. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. And wherever you go, stay in the house, same house until you leave town. If the town refuses to welcome you, shake the dust from your feet and leave as you show that you've abandoned these people to their fate. Gosh, how terrible to have your, you know, the dust kicked off your shoes. Say, peace out, y'all. Basically what he's saying, y'all, you know, you tell that city, y'all going to hell. 
because you rejected it. Wow. Jesus gave him nothing but himself. And I look at this passage going, no walking stick, not, not a change of clothes, not even some clean underwear, y'all, come on. Now, you know you can get a, four uses out of a pair. Of, oh, I'll stop. Okay. I felt the look for my wife. You see, Jesus was their strategy. Jesus was their strategy. God does not have a fallback plan. God is the plan. He is the plan. God's assignment will always be provisioned by God. Listen to what Matthew said. Wherever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay at his home until you leave town. See, Matthew 10 is also a same telling of the same account found in Luke 9. Find a person of peace because everything we do is through relationships. Last Tuesday, I had two guys, Steve Cochran and Doug Hickson, were in my office. They worked for our denomination, which we were a part of. They had uh, about seven or eight or nine or ten other guys with them that were church planters, church revitalizers, coming into Austin to pray about coming here. And they were there. Why were they there? Because they were a part of my denomination. No, they were there because I love Steve and Doug. They're my brothers. Everything we do, y'all, is based on relationship. Everything. Why do we hang out with Cypress Creek? Because we love Pastor Rob. He's my brother. We love Jose Juan Carlos. That's my nickname for him. We love him because he's our brother. And we work together. We're not in competition with other churches, y'all. We're in competition with the devil. Devil's a regular church attender, by the way. Just so you know. He's got the red suit on this morning. But Matthew says, find a man of peace. And so we look for relationships because Jesus is going to provide for us through relationships. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the Mainland China Mission, he said this, God's work done God's way will never lack God's provision. Scott Weatherford says this, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And he'll provide it. Do we really believe then that Jesus is enough? Do we really believe that Jesus is enough? <clears throat> David Livingston was a missionary doctor who mapped out Africa. And he said, when the expedition ends, the expansion begins. He went to Africa to map it out so other people could come behind him and preach the gospel. He died in Africa. He died on his knees in prayer. He was 59 years old when he died. The African chieftain that was carrying him on that journey cut out his heart, buried it in Africa, dried his body in the sun, then affixed it to a pole, carried it nine months out to Boma, where they sailed it back to England and buried him in Westminster's Abbey. This was his prayer. I've read it to you before. I'll read it again and again and again. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to yourself. I read that prayer 
years ago. And I want to pray that prayer. But it scares me to death. Because that's a dangerous prayer. That's a prayer of a crazy man. Crazy for Jesus. You know what these disciples did? They obeyed him. Your devotion to God is not just in word, but in deed. What you do shows what you believe. Be ye doers of the word, not just hearers only, James says. They obeyed. Luke 9, 6. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. And they experienced God. You see, your life is defined by your obedience, not by your utterance. Not by your experience, but your obedience. Jesus said it this way in John 14. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Or one translation says, obey my commands. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home in him when we obey. And what an experience these guys had. What experience waits us when we say yes to Jesus? We no longer live for ourselves, we live all for him. What experiences do, does it make? They gain trust. And as we live all for Jesus, we learn to trust him more and more and more. And can I trust in Jesus when everything fails? Yes. Yes. My friend with a twinkle in his eye who has cancer in his body said this, God, I love, I love what I'm learning about Jesus right now. What? Dude, you got cancer. I love what he's teaching me right now. And I love what God is teaching me right now through him. Jesus, Jesus, how I've trust you, how I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you more. Trust you more. In every movement of God, you can expect adversity. It's coming. Adversity from your own heart with your own doubt and discouragement. Adversity with comparing yourself to other people and feeling like you don't measure up. Do you, any of y'all do that or am I the only one? I got a dead gum brother named Stan. He's preaching next week here. He reads Greek and Hebrew. He's like Dr. Stan Weatherford. And I'm intimidated around him intellectually and theologically. And he's my dad gum brother. When I compare to him, I'm a know nothing. But you know what? He ain't Scott. He's not, he's not the dancing bear. He ain't. And God doesn't want Stan to be Scott. He doesn't want Scott to be Stan. He wants Scott to be Scott. There ain't another Scott in the world. If I don't be Scott, there ain't another Scott. So y'all need a Scott, so I'm your Scott. You got that? And then Stan's Stan, and Stan's the man, but he ain't our man. He just Stan. Or I can compare myself to Dr. Richard Cheatham, the smoothest, slickest talker ever. I mean, last time he preached, the devil got saved. I mean, Dr. Rich. But I'm not Dr. Richard Cheatham. I'm Scott. And you're you, and God loves you, and he wants you to be you. He doesn't want you to be me, because that'd be a mess. He wants you to be you. And he saved you. He has called you to assign you to do what you could only do, so do it. 
All for Jesus. All for Jesus. You can get adversary from, uh, adversity from others. And it's sad that other believers become the adversity, isn't it? We should be encouraging one another, praying for one another, building one another up in love. But y'all, you know what a sure sign of spiritual immaturity is? Disunity. When you're in disunity, you're showing yourself to be a spiritual child. Ouch. You're definitely going to get adversity from Satan. You know what Satan loves to do? Satan loves to wake you up at night. Any of y'all have trouble sleeping? I think all of North America has trouble sleeping. I've never seen more mattress advertisements in my life than I have seen lately. Terry and I drove by a place the other day, had two of the same mattress store in the same shopping complex. Mattresses, mattresses, sleep well. Get this one, get this one. This one adjusts. You know, it's called a hospital bed. You order this one, it comes in a box and you unfold it. I mean, it's like all these things. Why? Because we're, I can go to sleep in front of the TV better than I can in my bed. Anybody with me? You know, turn on golf and I'm out. I love watching football with my eyes closed. You know why? Because Satan loves to wake you up. Have you ever noticed that when you woke it up in the middle of the night, it's always worse than it really is? Because say, you know what we should do? Wake up, tell Satan, shut up and go bother somebody else and go back to sleep. It's hard to do, isn't it? Because our mind races and we worry and we should trust that Satan loves, Satan wants to make you ineffective and I'll tell you how he does it. He does it through temptation and he does it through trials and he does it through torment. Don't let him. He has no authority. Tell him to shut his demonic pie hole and leave you alone. Actually, you could tell him to go to hell because that's where he's going. <laughs> These guys were used by you, by God. These guys were used by God in a great way. They turned the world upside down. God used this experience to prepare them for the next experience. And the next experience was to go spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth. He was giving them a warm-up, and he does the same for, for us. Everything in your now is preparation for your next. And increase their courage and increase their faith. Why? Because they're going to need it. Later in Matthew, Matthew says this. Beware, for you'll be handled over to the courts and will be flogged with whips and in the synagogue. Oh boy, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell rulers and unbelievers about me. They're going to beat me? I'm going to get to tell them about you? Yep. It's going to happen. Oh. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when various trials fall upon you. Because the Lord is faithful. Wow. So I've asked you a couple of questions. I'm going to ask you one more. Will you say yes to Jesus before he asks? If you've given your life to him, he has, he's, he's taken authority over you. Will you say yes to him before he asks? Will you let Jesus define your life by your obedience? Jesus will allow you to waste your life. Did you know that? Or he'll take you on the greatest adventure of investing your life. Is Jesus enough or are you looking for something else?
You see, Jesus wants all of you. All of you. He wants you all, all of you. All of you online, he wants you all. All the seven billion in the world watching right now, he wants you all. But listen to this. He wants all of you. All of you. 